Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for, for joining us this morning for worship. Uh, it's good to see so many of you here with us today. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now that we've uh, successfully eaten our weight at least a couple times in turkey and gravy, uh, maybe our, some of us are still trying to get over some, some rivalry weekend football games. But regardless of how the week has been, it is good to be together this morning. Uh, it's good to, to be together in worship. want to point your attention to just a few announcements in the bulletin. Uh, this week, we have choir practice picking back up. That's, that's fun to announce again. Um, we are excited. Lynn's excited. If you are part of the choir or interested in the choir, would like to be a part of the choir, uh, come Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, they'll be meeting back here in the uh, choir room. Come and sing and have a good time with, with Lynn and the, the rest of the choir. We're looking forward to having our choir back. Um, it's lonely up here with, without anybody here, but it's, it's good to have them coming back soon. Thursday, we have our growth group. Uh, I'll be sending out an email uh, probably tomorrow with the details for our meeting this week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, I, there's an announcement here for the treasurers of every organization. If you if you serve for a committee or an organization in the church as the treasurer, uh, hang around after worship this morning. There's a, a brief meeting. Who's leading that meeting? Steve's leading that meeting. Good. Not me. Okay. Okay, an update on the bank. So if you're a treasurer, please hang around, look for Steve uh, to go over a few things with that. Uh, the only one more announcement that I'll point your attention to, the rest are there, you can, can read. Uh, we do need volunteers for our children's story. So for this morning, as you can tell, is our first Advent Sunday. And so for our children's story during the month of Advent, we'll be doing the Advent wreath here in the front. Uh, Jessica Black will be doing it for our children this morning. But we have no one else signed up uh, for the rest of the weeks. So we have three more Sundays that we need uh, volunteers. If we, if we come to a Sunday and we don't have one, be on the lookout because you might be voluntold. Uh, but don't worry. Uh, I'll send out the reading, the scripture, everything. It'll be, it'll be hand-delivered to you. So it'll be easy for you to do. We just come up and lead our children in lighting the, the candles. Are there any other announcements that I'm missing? Yes. Any other announcements this morning? typically do we, I, I like to begin our service with, uh, by reading a psalm to you, but this morning I, I want to read to you from the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. This is what it, what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is who we gather to worship, the exact imprint of God, his nature, everything in flesh. And God long ago spoke through the prophets. He spoke through Moses, through Isaiah, through all the the prophets that were sent. But for us here in these days, he has spoken to us in his son, the word made flesh. And it is good for us to gather together in worship of him this morning. Pray with me. Let us begin our worship service. Father, thank you. Thank you for Advent season. That we as your people have a month, we have four Sundays that we can gather together in celebration of this one event. But it is so monumental to who we are as your people, to what you've done in in salvation. That four Sundays hardly seem like enough. But here we are on this first Sunday of Advent celebrating the birth of our Savior. That God, our Creator, entering into our world as one of us. And so, Father, as we gather, let us make much of you. Let us make much of Christ this morning. As we sing Christmas hymns and as we sing Christmas songs and read Scripture and light candles and celebrate Christmas and get our hearts ready for it, help us this morning, Father, to wait and trust that the second advent is coming. Father, be glorified in your people as we join together in worship of you this morning. It's in Christ's name we gather, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's sing together this morning. Our first hymn is hymn 160. Awake, awake, and greet the new morn. Please stand and sing with me.
thank you. Please be seated. Uh, at this time, Eric's going to come forward and lead us in our capital fund. Well, good morning, church. Just as a reminder, um, capital fund, that's what we do on fourth Sundays of the month. But we also have, uh, if you're tithing, um, in the Narsex, when you come in or when you're leaving, uh, we have an operatory plate there. So just as a reminder for that, if you're uh, wondering or if you guess it's been a little while, um, we have that set up. Um, today, I'm going to read from Psalm 100. <clears throat> Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. It's good to see everyone here. Uh, Patrick and I are really excited and, and thankful that you all have been able to come and spend your Sunday mornings with us. Uh, I think they got a really good glow to their faces this morning and a smile. I think it's all that turkey stuff, as you mentioned before. Yeah. So, but, uh, and, and, and I'm sure it's a, a lot of time with your family and friends, and, but we're, we're very thankful that uh, you could join us this morning uh, to spend a little time in the, in the Word of God and, and hear what God has uh, got to share with us through Patrick. As he always says, it's not him. It's it's God uh, working through him. It's his word that uh, we share. But, um, <clears throat> again, uh, we, the, the church, are thankful. It's good to see everybody this morning and, and very thankful that you all are here. So at this time we'll uh, do our capital fund. We finish that up. Um, as, as Patrick said, it is it is our first Advent uh, of the season, and uh, glory be to God. We had plenty of help yesterday, and this church is awesomely decorated in for our season. So, shout out to uh, all those who came out and participated in helping the, the church look as beautiful as it does. Thank you. Well, at this time, uh, if our children will come up, uh, Jessica is going to lead us in the lighting of our Advent wreath. How are you guys today? 
Good. I'm so glad to see all your bright, shiny faces. Goodness. All right. I want to read to you some words from Isaiah. Okay. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I think it'll come I think it'll go out before then probably. Okay. So this Sunday I'm trying to figure out where I'm gonna be best to be with you guys. So this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Okay? This is the beginning of the Advent season. Do you know what Advent means? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that means? Oh, okay. So maybe. So the word Advent means to come. And we we celebrate, at Advent, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. When he was born, when? Christmas is what we celebrate when he was born, right? In the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, a long time before then, there were people who were called prophets. Okay, The job that prophets had, So, so that's prophets with an F. We're talking about the PH kind of prophets. <laughs> so, so the prophet, the the PH prophets, <laughs> so their job. You can imagine what home life is like, right? <laughs> their job was to tell people that one day God was going to come and rescue us. Okay. And they told the world about God's promises. That was everything that they were expected to do. That's what God called them to do, and that's what they did. So what's a promise? Can, can Eddie give this one a shot? Because that hand just went right up as soon as I asked. Eddie, what's the promise? Oh, I promise you that God is coming. That is a promise. That's a promise. Clara, what do you think? 
Yeah. Okay, very good. That's right. That's right. That's a really good way to describe it. A promise is when somebody tells you that they're going to do something and not break it, right? You... <laughs> pretty extreme <laughs> and okay <laughs> what are what are some I'm afraid to ask this question <laughs> what are some promises that you've made can you think of some promises you've made can't remember have you ever promised your mom or dad that you're going to pick up your toys? <laughs> right? Get them in the hot seat. They tell you everything. Can you think of promises you've made to a friend that you'll be their best friend or that you'll play with them or that something would be fun that you would get to do together? Have you ever broken a promise? Or, okay. See, what, what did that feel like when you broke a promise? Okay, right. So, and that's, I, I think that that's normal for a lot of people to feel that way if they've broken a promise. Eddie, did you have something to say? We are not going to cut off any pinkies today, for sure. That is not going to happen. So, so the scripture that we just read was from the prophet Isaiah. And he told the people that God was going to come as a baby and that that child would save us. Right? But they had to wait for him. The people who heard Isaiah's message would have to wait a few hundred years before that promise came true. Can you imagine waiting that long? It's a long time, right? But it took a long time. But God never broke his promise, right? He sent Jesus at the right time. That's right. God doesn't break promises. Right. Right. And so I don't even know how much of this I have to say now. That, but that's exactly right, Hudson. And that's, that's exactly right. God doesn't break his promises. And he did. He promised us that he would send Jesus. And he did. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about this ornament. Let's talk about that. Thank you for the good segue. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. So it's this is called a it's called a chrismon, and that stands for a Christ monogram. Okay, and it's a symbol about Jesus. Right? And our tree is covered with lots of these symbols about Jesus. Right? We have lots of different kinds. You can, I mean, you can spend a lot of time looking at how pretty and fun those different ones are. So today, this one that we're going to talk about is called the Cairo. Can you say Cairo? Cairo. Good job, Nora. Yeah. So that's actually the first two letters of the word Christ in Greek. Okay? So the Chi, which is this X part... Right? And the row, which is the part that looks like a P, make up the K sound. Okay? 
<clears throat> and they start the word Christos, which means the anointed one. And so, you want to pass that? Everybody can look at that. So, in the promises that God made through his promise, prophets like Isaiah, he promised that there would be a very special person, a man who was chosen by God to accomplish his purposes. And that man would be called Jesus. He's the Christ. So we hang that symbol on our tree to remind us that Jesus was not born by accident. Okay? But that long, long ago, God promised that he would come just like he did. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. And before he left, Hudson, just like you said, he gave us another promise that he would come again. He was born. yet right because he was born at the right time right god sent him at the right time so how do you think the people felt while they were waiting well we can talk about the calendar accuracy situation later that's a good lunchtime discussion He did. That's exactly right. And he was. He knew. That's exactly right because he knew. And so it's been over 2,000 years since he made the promise that Jesus would come again. And we still believe that that will be true, too, because just like God's timing for Jesus being born the first time was true and perfect, right, it will be again because God does what he says he's going to do. And that's what it means to have hope, right, that we trust that God's going to do Thank you, what he says he's going to do. Let me pray for us, okay? God, thank you for your beautiful promises and for the gift of hope. Thank you that you always keep your promises and that we can trust and hope and know that Jesus will come back just as you said that he will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's fun having our little ones back up front, isn't it? Uh, Denise and Alana are going to take uh, those four and under downstairs. Uh, if anyone would, l- would like to join, uh, we do need volunteers for our nursery. So if you would be interested in doing that, it is, it's, we have a nursery downstairs for our four and under. Uh, and we just need two adults every Sunday to go down there with them and spend, spend some time with them during our, our, our worship service. Uh, but let's, let's, uh, let's sing another song together. Our next hymn is Hymn 180. Uh, After this hymn, we'll do our Apostles' Creed and doxology. But stand and sing with me, A Little Town of Bethlehem.
inside the front of your hymnal, you'll find a copy of the Apostles' Creed. It is important for us to say this together every week simply because we forget. We forget what brings us together. We forget what it is that holds us as God's people. We forget things that we have been taught from a very young age. And so the Apostles' Creed puts in a very memorable way the truths of Scripture, the truths that we believe and unite around. And so I invite you this morning, church, if you believe it, to say the Apostles' Creed aloud with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, if you will, grab uh, your Bible. If you brought one, if not, there should be a, a blue one on the end of your pew. Feel free to grab one of those and turn with me to the Gospel of John. If you have been with us over the last several months at all, we have been working our way through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, but are putting, pressing pause on our study of Deuteronomy for this season of Advent. And for these next four Sundays, I want to spend our time looking at uh, what is referred to as this, the, the prologue to John's gospel. These first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And so if you're looking for something to read as a family over the weeks, looking for something to memorize and rehearse and say aloud together, uh, let me encourage you to consider these 18 verses. Uh, they are very simple but packed full of beautiful, wonderful truth. So this morning, we will be looking at the first five verses of John chapter 1. Hear the the word of the Lord this morning. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Let us seek the Lord's help in understanding his word this morning. Father, we come to you this morning seeking grace and help. We We come seeking light in darkness. Help me to speak clearly, and truthfully, boldly, and faithfully to what is written here in your word. Not to change or add anything to this text, but to preach it as it is. Because as it is, 
wonderful. Move among your people this morning. Stir in our hearts. Help us celebrate and wonder at the glory of God made flesh. The wonder of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I've always loved Christmas lights. Uh, as, a, as a child, we, I grew up in, in Sumter, South Carolina for, for a number of early years. And uh, there in Sumter, you have this, uh, it's called Swan Lake. And it is simply just this area, it's this park that is filled with swan and geese. And if you're bold enough to take a loaf of bread, you might get chased out of there. But it's fun, so they say. But every, every Christmas season, Swan Lake fills their, their park with Christmas lights and allows the, the public to drive through and, and see different, different Christmas lights spread out throughout the park. And I may be a little biased, but a park is a whole lot better drive-through than a racetrack, but to each his own, I suppose. Uh, but, but Christmas lights have always been something that is, has been special to me and my family. And, and this week, as I was considering it, I wonder if, if maybe you've thought thought about it as well, why is it that Christmas lights are so special? I mean, beyond that they're just pretty to look at, I mean, what is it about Christmas lights that, that stand out? And why do we do Christmas lights during Christmas? Why not decorate our house in lights for July 4th or any other time of the holidays? But I think it has a lot to do with the season of the year. I mean, consider what, what, our, what our days look like this time of year. I mean, we have cold nights, we have short days, which means we have long nights. I mean, there's here we, we sit in a time where we have longer periods of just darkness. Where it's 5 o'clock, but feels like 11 o'clock. I mean, there's a reason that during this, this time of year, depression rates skyrocket. Because we're just surrounded by darkness. And I think Christmas lights are so special then because Christmas lights stand out as this way that every house that uses them has a way to push back that darkness just a little bit. To to shine out for the people riding by. To remind people that darkness has not won. You see, what what if that darkness was more than just a really long night? What if... What if the light that we need is more than just some sparkly snowflakes? See, as we begin our, our Advent series this morning, I, I want to look at this, this prologue with you. But I want you to consider this morning the reality of darkness in our world. And I'm not talking about time change, and I'm not talking about sunsets. I'm talking about real, true darkness. I also want you to consider how that darkness is driven back, even defeated. Because you see, as we come to these first five verses of John's gospel, we are shown very clearly that the darkness is being pushed back by a very real and powerful light. As we as we come, I want to go through these these verses one by one, but but I want to go through them backwards and, and show you how, these, how these, this light is triumphant and victorious over the darkness. Show you what this light really is. But ultimately, one thing that we must keep in mind every week as we study John, John 1 is the purpose in which John wrote his gospel. 
And he gives it to you at the very end of his gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells you why he wrote this book. And it, it must be of great importance as we read and study this chapter for the next four weeks. This is what John 20, verse 31 says. John says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We don't study John 1 just to advance our theological vocabulary or to to wrap our minds around something very complex as God becoming flesh. But we read and we study because we want to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing these things, we may have life in his name. So let's look then and work through these these five verses, starting with verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One thing that we must understand as we come to these, these verses is that the world is lost in darkness. It is, is lost in darkness. And it may not be the happiest ways to, to begin an Advent series, but nevertheless, it's true. And it seems to feel even more true this time of year. The holiday season, Christmas time, Thanksgiving, all of it is, is a time that we spend with family and with loved ones. We share meals together, and we spend time together, and we give gifts together, and we watch movies together, and we sing music together, and we do everything together. But whether it's death or divorce or distance, that togetherness can be taken away. And seeing the, the times where, being reminded of the times where togetherness used to be so easy and natural, now it just hurts. Stings a little bit more deeply these days, doesn't it? And in fact, there's a lot of churches that, that offer what they what is called a blue Christmas service. And then here's a, a service. It's a, a time of grieving and, and mourning together. Where in the front of the churches, they everyone who, who would like takes a chair and leaves it empty in the front in remembrance of a loved one or a family member who is not around this year like they may have been last year and years past. And the church, it is the, the blue Christmas service is a time where the church can come alongside those in grief and mourning over the holidays and grieve and mourn together. And be reminded that Christ has come to accomplish and defeat the very thing that causes so much grief this time of year. The service, the, the blue Christmas services are appropriately scheduled for December 21st. The longest night of the year. The, the point in our world where darkness is quite literally the longest that it is. It's as if creation itself is joining with the church in mourning and sadness and groaning with us in our grief. And we understand this darkness. You understand it. You feel it. I mean, every, every ache and pain... Every sore joint, every tear, every broken heart, every sick child, every cancer patient, every chemo treatment, every crime on the evening news, every murder, every theft, every abuse, every tragedy, every natural disaster, every flooded home, every burnt building, every village that's been wiped off the map in some way, shape, or form, we, we see it. I mean, do you feel do you feel this darkness in our world? Do you are you aware of it? You feel those shadows get a little bit deeper this time of year. You feel that darkness grow a little bit stronger. 
And maybe the holidays are hardest for you because you were without a loved one. So the long nights feel especially long. And whatever your life looks like right now, you, you must know this to be true. Above all things, above all other things, that the world, our world, is lost and covered in darkness. But there's good news. Because in this darkness, there is a light that shines, and that light is not overcome by that darkness. Jessica read for our our children out of Isaiah 9, where the prophet spoke and promised from God that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Now, Now, this is no secret, and I don't want to keep you in suspense. If you are in suspense, the light that we're referring to is Jesus. It is, it is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, the self-proclaimed, as he says in John 8. He says, I am the light of the world. This truth, the truths that are found in these 18 verses of John 1, are, are filled with the rest of John's gospel. He continually comes back to these themes. And one of these themes is that Jesus is this light that pushes back the darkness in such a way that the darkness has no chance of overcoming him. See, the good news of John 1 and verse 5 is that the light has come into our darkness and it has entered the darkness in such a way that the darkness is literally pushed back. I mean, consider, consider what this means. Our world is, if we believe that our world is overcome by darkness, and consider for a moment if, if anyone has really ever escaped this dark world without being confronted by the sickness, pain, suffering, and death that we know so well. Has anyone escaped it? There's never been a single person to ever live and come away unscathed by the darkness, let alone victorious over it. This man, Jesus, this, this light of the world, he does just that. He enters the brokenness and is not broken by it. He enters an unbelieving world and is not consumed by unbelief. He enters a dying world and is not overcome. He is not defeated by death. Because of this, and only because of this then, this light can offer hope to those that are lost in darkness. Again, Jesus says in John 8, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this begs the question, how... How can we know for certain that Jesus, this light of the world, will not be overcome by darkness? Because we're not just saying things. This has to be true. What guarantees do we have then that he will not be overcome? We see in verse 4, we find out what exactly this life is made, or this light is made up of. This light, he says in verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. That is what this light, light is. This light is life. You see, you turn on a lamp in your house. Imagine walking in and pitch black, 10 o'clock at, in, in the evening, and there's no lights on in your house, and so you turn on a lamp. Now, in order for you to see something that is in the back of the house where the lamp is not, you either have to bring it into the light or take the light to it because the lamp cannot move unless you move it. But this light is different. The the light that we find in Jesus is not some stagnant lamppost light that must be carried or brought or have things brought to it. This light is 
alive. This light moves. This light has purpose. This light has energy. This light has life. And this light is actively pursuing those in darkness. It is actively seeking and bringing light into that darkness. But not only is this light living, he himself is life. This light cannot be found anywhere else. It belongs to him. It is him. He alone possesses it. Which means that if you and I want life, then he is the only one that we can go to. What exactly is the nature of this life that he has? I mean, someone might say, well, my heart beats, my my lungs work, I can move and walk. I mean, I seem to be doing okay. I I don't know that I really need life from Jesus. I'm, I'm kind of already alive. I got that. But see, this life that Jesus offers, this life that is in found in Jesus, is more than just physical life. It is more than just a beating heart. It is more than just lungs that breathe. It is spiritual, eternal resurrection life. Life after death. It is a life that cannot be defeated by death or disease. A life that lives on forever. In John 10, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I came that my disciples, that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is the purpose that he came, to give his life. We also know that this life is the only life. The life that is in Jesus is the only source of life that has ever been entirely self-existent. Jesus needs nothing and no one to keep him alive. He is not dependent on a heartbeat. He is not dependent on lungs. He is not dependent on kidneys and livers. And he himself is life, self-existent, self-sustaining, all-sufficient life. So the reason that darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus is because this light of Jesus is eternal. It is self-existent life, which he gives to those who follow him. And if we believe this is true, then we must ask the question, well, on what basis, how does this person, Jesus, have this self-existent life, which is the light of the world? Who is he that he possesses this? The answer must also be found Here in John 1, verse 3, we learn in verse 3 that true life is found only in the creator of all things. Verse 3 says, he was in the beginning, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator. He has made all things. This is the only way that Jesus can possess self-existent eternal life. And if he is a creator... If he is the creator, excuse me, then he cannot be a creation. He is not a creation, but he is the creator. And, and I realize this, this may not be as of great importance to, to many of you who who've possibly heard that Jesus is God. You've grown up in church and you've been, been taught this from, from a young child that Jesus is God, that he is the creator. And so this doesn't seem like that important or that new of a truth. I get it. But the discussion on the identity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, really, has been the subject of more controversy and heresy in the church than any other topic in all of Scripture. I mean, for the first 400 plus years of the church, this topic, 
The, the identity of Jesus, whether he was fully God or fully man or how these two work together, this topic was the subject of more debate than anything else. And every major heresy stemmed from whether or not Jesus was fully God, fully human, creation, or creator. One of the first major debates took place uh, at Nicaea, and really between two men, Arius and Athanasius. And Arius believed that Jesus was God's first creation. Still existed before everything else created, so before God said, let there be light, and there was light, before that moment, God the Father created the Son. He created Jesus. Or as Arius said famously, there was once a time when Jesus was not. Athanasius rightly corrected Arius, because he said, if this is true, if Jesus was a creation and not the creator, then Jesus cannot be truly God. Because he would be a step down from God. He would be created by God. Athanasius rightly corrected Arius, and he said, no, 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 there was never a time when Jesus was not. He has always been, and always will be. And so from this Council of Nicaea in in the year 315, they gave us the Nicene Creed. And part of the Nicene Creed says this. It says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, and through him all things were made. You see, while the first major debate ended well, not every debate on the the subject of Jesus' identity can say the same. In fact, every world religion today, every cult today that has a view or belief regarding Jesus will defer at this point more than anything else. I've heard from from many of you over the years, well, what what exactly makes Jehovah's Witnesses wrong? Why why do Mormons believe what they believe? What, What makes Muslims believe differently than we do? And all of it comes down to who they say Jesus is. It's all centered on this. Jews, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, on and on it goes. None of them believe the biblical teaching that Jesus is truly God and truly human and that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the creator of all things. You see, this is not a trivial matter. We're not arguing over semantics here. Because the the fact is is that if if Jesus is truly the creator of all things, then he is also the ruler of all things. If he is not the creator of all things, but is just a creation, then he is really no different than you and I. How How can he save us if he is not truly the creator? And if he's more than a creation, if he is in fact the creator, then he created all things. And this means he created even the things that eventually rebelled and turned into darkness. We see in, in John 3, there was, without him was not anything made that was made. Satan and his, his minions, the, the angels that fell from, from light and from glory, that became enemies of God. These are created things. Jesus created them. Because of this, because he made these beings of darkness, 
The darkness cannot overcome them. Cannot overcome him. Because he made them. Can what is made ever overcome its maker? So let's ask one more question regarding this. Because you may be familiar somewhat with the Genesis 1 and 2 creation narrative. Where God speaks and things happen. And, and all things are made by God speaking. And if, if we're following John's logic here that Jesus of Nazareth is the creator, then where is Jesus in Genesis 1 and 2? Why doesn't he show up there? We see in, in, in verse 1 and 2, this is what it says of John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, one of the more debated topics when coming to these verses is John's word choice. Why does John choose the word, choose to call Jesus the word? In Greek, which John is writing in Greek, the, the word there is logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And it has as many connotations, this word logos has as many connotations as you can possibly imagine. So, for example, the Greeks, who would have been John's primary audience, they believed that the universe, that the world was run and controlled, not by God, but by a divine underlying principle. This reason, logic, a force that kept all things in balance, logical, rational. Today, we still have people that believe this. They call it, instead of logos or reason, they call it the universe. And so you have people praying and asking that the universe would give me a good day, that the universe would cause things to balance out, that the universe would whatever. So it's possible that John chooses this word evangelistically and apologetically. He's, he's using something that non-believers who would read his gospel would be familiar with, and in a way, and he's putting it in Christian terms. And so it'd be kind of like saying, for, of John saying, you believe in this force that, that runs everything, it controls everything, you call it the universe, and John's saying, I, I believe that there's a force like that that exists. I'm here to tell you that that force took on flesh and became like us. And I think there's merit to this argument, but this argument also diminishes any connection to the Old Testament. And forgets that John was actually a Jewish writer. He was a Jewish man who wrote as a Jew with full knowledge of the Old Testament. And you see, in the Old Testament, God creates things and he reveals himself by speaking, by his word. And John would have, would have had to have understood that the word of God would refer to all of the things that God has done in the Old Testament. He has done by his mouth, by his word. And so in creation, we go to Genesis 1, and you see it. And God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be trees, and there were trees. And God said, let there be birds, and there were birds. He creates everything except mankind, but he creates everything by speaking it into existence. It is his word that creates. Mankind is the only exception because with humanity, God comes down and he forms the body of Adam and Eve. With his own hands. But you see, John, when John reads Genesis 1, he sees God creating by speaking, and he says, The word that came out of the mouth of God was so powerful and so real, so, so living and tangible, so creative and so revelatory, that this word of God is a distinct person of God. 
it is so distinct that John must say that the Word was with God. But it's so unified with God that, that John must say the Word was God. So creation was done by the Word of God. And John says that that Word, active in creation, is Jesus. And we see it throughout, it carries throughout the Old Testament. God continually reveals Himself through His Word by speaking. He speaks to Moses and gives the law. He speaks to prophets and kings and judges and priests. Also that Israel will continue to understand who God is and what he is like and what he is doing. Over and over and over again. It is the word of God going forth. And it is people coming to know who God is by what God says. And so for John to say that the, this word of God becomes flesh. He is saying that everything you've ever wanted to know about God, what he is like, what he loves, what he wants to do, what he is doing, what he will do, any of it, all that you want to know, whatever it is that you want to know about God, is found in this person, Jesus. Because he is the word of God made flesh. And this word of God was how God created the world, and the word of God is how God redeems the world, and the word of God is how God recreates the world. Making all things new. And the word of God, this word of God, will reign forever over the world in perfect righteousness. I mean, this is the message of of these first five verses of John's gospel. That our world is lost in darkness. But a light has entered the darkness, which the darkness cannot overcome. It cannot snuff out that light. Why is that the case? Is because this light is truly life itself. And this life itself comes from the creator, the author of all life. And this creator is God. Jesus, the word made flesh. But again, I I can't end here without leaving you with an understanding of why this matters. It's one thing for me to teach and to tell you these things are found in Scripture, but it's another thing for us to understand why it matters for you personally. Why it matters for us. Let me, let me leave you with three, three B's to, to remember in John 1 through 5. First, the reason this matters is that we must believe it, believe it, and proclaim it. Believe it and proclaim it. Because, you see, this is not a truth that people love to hear. See, Christmas, you and I can speak about the cute little baby in the manger, and we can speak about cattle's lowing and silent nights and all these things so we're blue in the face. And people are fine with that. But the minute you start speaking about sin, the minute you start speaking about God-made flesh, the minute you start speaking about all of these things is when people start to get a little bit more upset. You see, here's why. Jesus tells us in John 3 why this is the case. He says, The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness more than they loved the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed. Imagine for a minute you're going stargazing on a perfect night for it. Crystal clear skies. New moon is there so there's no light And you can see stars and stars and stars. It is pitch black. Perfect night. Now imagine sitting there staring up at the sky and in one moment someone flicks on the light. 
And you go from pitch black night to dead noon. Imagine the pain that is just in your eyes. The screams that come out of your mouth. How many parents have gone into teenagers' rooms at the crack of noon to turn on the light and pull back the shutters only to hear screams and shudders, or screams and cries? We don't like light turning on in the darkness. No one likes it. But this is exactly what it's like for us when people of darkness, people who land in a, who dwell in a land of deep darkness, when we see a great light, it hurts. It blinds. We scream and we shout and we resist and we turn away because we don't like it. We are comfortable in the darkness. In the light, we're exposed. We're vulnerable. And no one likes to feel exposed. But this is precisely what the light of Christ does. But you see, in this exposure, John reminds us in his, his letter to the church, he reminds us that Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we no longer have to fear that exposure, that vulnerability. We can actually walk into the light, leaving the darkness behind us and not fear. Let me, let me ask you, church. What are you hiding in the darkness? What secret shames and guilts are you protecting and keeping away from the light? What guilt and shame is lurking in the shadows of your own soul that you are terrified of it coming into the light? You see, you really have two options with this. You can, you can bring it to the light of Christ today and receive grace without fear, without wrath, without punishment, but receive grace or he will bring it into the light. But if he does it, it will be in judgment. And it will be in wrath. And if we believe that that baby in the manger is truly the Son of God, the true creator, the word made flesh, this light of the world, then we must come to him and stand in light of his grace. That we believe these things and proclaim these things because it is only his light which drives out the darkness. Number two, so first we believe it. Second, we be children of the light. Be a child of the light. You see, the best aspect of this light that is alive in Christ is that it not only, not only does it push back the darkness, but it, makes, it is a, a begetting light. It begets more light. It makes more light. In John 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of light. Ephesians 5, Paul says, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are, uh, you are light in the light, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, as we are exposed to this light of Christ, as our deeds of darkness are brought to the cross and nailed there, there is a grace that is at work in us, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but to create in us a hatred for our sins. When we become sons and daughters of the light, we become sons and daughters who hate the darkness and want nothing to do with it. See, it's, it's, not, it's not enough to, to just simply say, Jesus, forgive me, and then we run straight back into the darkness where he just pulled us out of. It's not repentance. Now, when we become children of light in Christ, we long for the light. 
We stay in the light as he is in the light. Again, in 1 John 1, he says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is what it means to be children of the light. It means to walk in the light, to love the light, to pursue the light, and to stay as far away from the darkness as we can. Number three, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because here's the best part of it all. You will not be overcome by the darkness. Every day it seems the darkness is growing, getting stronger. Whether it's the darkness of this world crawling across our news stories or it's the darkness of our own hearts oozing its way out. It feels so often that we have no choice. The darkness is going to destroy us. It's going to consume us in some way, shape, or form. And if not us, then maybe it will consume our children or maybe our children's children. Somewhere along the line, darkness is going to win. Well, the good news of John 1.5 is that the darkness will not overcome the light. See, it feels so often that this darkness is too much. It's too big. It's too big for us. In a lot of ways it is. But never for him. Never for him. See, let me, let me encourage you with one incredible truth. That this darkness has been defeated. The darkness of our world seems to be growing and worsening every day. Because the prince of, the, of darkness knows that his time is coming to an end. And he is thrashing about in one final last-ditch effort to do whatever he can to avoid his destruction. But it can't be undone. Even he knows he's been defeated. And there is such a great encouragement that as you and I consider the future and all that is coming, whether it's political instability, wars, pandemics, crime, all of the darkness that our world has will only get worse. And then it will be defeated. Fully and completely. Christ will reign victorious over this darkness. But there's also a very personal encouragement here. Because this darkness that dwells within you, within me, it will not overcome you either. And be honest with yourself for a minute. How how many of you, knowing, knowing the darkness that dwells within your heart, many of you have felt hopeless when it comes to defeating it? There's just this resignation that I'm just never going to be done with this. I'm never going to be free from it. And at some point along the way, it's going to consume me and it's going to crush me. And I'm, I'm going to do something that I can't take back. You see, it's a, a dark place to be in that mindset. To be always worried about what's waiting in the shadows of your own soul. You see, it's in those moments of weakness when we give in to that darkness, when that darkness just comes out in sin. It's in these moments that the enemy will whisper his accusations. You failed again. You're not a child of light. You belong to the darkness. You belong to me. But you, Christian, in Christ, You are victorious. You, in Christ, are free. 
There's a hymn that I'm sure we'll sing over the next few weeks. Come thou long expected Jesus. It is a song of prayer for Advent. It is a song crying out for Jesus to come. We've been waiting. We've been expecting. We've been just waiting for him to come. And this song is this prayer saying, just come. Come thou long expected Jesus. And the first verse it says, come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. He was born to set you free. You are free. I'll be honest, the, the light, as pretty as this, this tree is lit up, as pretty as Christmas lights are as you drive around, the light of Christ puts all other Christmas lights to shame. Even, even our neighbor here who, whose lights are, are pretty bright, The light of Christ is brighter still. What a a great victory it is to be reminded of this Christmas season. Though the world is lost in darkness, we have a light that shines in us and through us and to us. And this light is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, who entered our darkness and pushes it back. This Christmas light shines in the darkness. And as John says, the darkness has not overcome it. Merry Christmas. Pray with me. Father, we we thank you for your word and and for this beautiful truth. In Christ, there is light, there is hope, there is life. For us to consider that you, our God, our creator, became like us, is almost too... It's too much to comprehend. But here we have in your word this truth. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is what we remember. Thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we, uh, as we do every week, we respond to the preaching of God's word uh, by taking communion together. Ron is at the back. If you need the elements, just raise your hand. He'll bring one to you. I want to give just a, a brief word of instruction as we come to the table. This table is, is for believers in Christ. So if you are a believer in Christ, you have placed faith in him for salvation, are living a life of repentance, Seeking the light, running from the darkness, this table is for you. Whether or not you're a member of this church, I'm not worried about that at the moment. I'd love to talk to you about joining the church. But coming to the table, this is for those who believe in Christ for salvation. If that's not you, let me say and speak to you for just a moment. I'm really glad you're here. I don't think there's a better place for you to be this morning than here with us in worship. Because as we turn and celebrate Christmas, as you... Go about this this next month of December seeing Christmas trees and Christmas lights and all the things of Christmas. Let me just tell you right off the bat, none of these things are what Christmas is about. Christmas is about right here what we just spent our time in. The birth of, of Christ, the birth of Jesus. God entering our world to set you free from darkness. 
And so rather than take a wafer and some grape juice this morning, let me encourage you, take Christ instead. Because he can save you from the darkness. Because this is what he does. Christian, maybe your week has been filled with darkness. Sin, worry, anxiety, whatever it is, maybe it has. Maybe darkness is creeping in on you. Take hope. The light has come. And we gather at this table to celebrate and remember. So as as we come to the table, we are reminded of ultimately where Christmas ended. At the cross. That Christ came, born, God became flesh, was born among us so that he would die as one of us in our place. We come remembering what it took for the light to push back the darkness. The body of Christ, broken for you. And in the cup, we look forward. As Jessica taught our children, Advent means to wait. And we celebrate Advent for so long. We celebrate it for four Sundays because here we are waiting and anticipating for December 25th. And it creates in us this idea and this heart of waiting, which is a good thing. Because Advent, this Advent of Christmas, is only the first Advent. The second advent is coming. And until it comes, we are a people waiting. But we wait with hope. We wait with confidence. We wait with faith. With faith. That Christ our King, this light, will return. And until that day, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, to the King. Our closing hymn this morning is hymn 185, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It is a song praising the deity of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Stand and sing with me.
In your bulletin uh, is the Great Commission printed for you. We read this aloud as we go from here, because this is what God has called us to go and do, to go and make disciples. On your way out, I'll remind you to sign up for our Advent wreath. Uh, we need people for next Sunday in the... Uh, we need people for next Sunday in the...